It's been an interesting week, to say the least, for me. It's been full of many meetings. We reviewed um, all of our paid staff this week. And as I began to work on this sermon, which started weeks ago, I kept going back to it and, and going, okay, Lord, where are you going to lead me? And I would find a text, and I'd begin to write some things down. And then I got, no. Okay. Finally made it to this week, and three times this week, the answer has been no. For the first time in 50 years, my first sermon outside of the seminary context where you have practice sermons you give with other students and the homiletics professor is evaluating what you're doing. It was 50 years ago this week that I gave my very first sermon in Winnetka, Illinois. <laughs> Thank you. They didn't applaud for that sermon. <laughs> they were all relieved when we had the benediction. <clears throat> So, for the first time in 50 years, I'm coming to you with God saying to me, no. And he says, I'll show you the way when it's time. I am scared to death this morning. Because I think I know, but I'm not sure I know where he's taking me. What I do know is that we have been looking at Proverbs, and in Proverbs, we have discovered these things. There are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked schemes and feet that are quick to rush into evil, and for today, a false witness who pours out lies. A false witness who pours out lies. And as the creative design team looked at it, they saw this as deceit. Someone giving the glad hand but ready to stab in the back. There are people like that in our world. Has anybody besides me ever done that? I have a couple friends <laughs> or cohorts, whatever we would call that. And in contrast, when God gets a hold of us, he helps us take off our mask and become genuine and speak the truth. So this morning we're going to look at deceit or false witness and authenticity speaking the truth. That will probably be turned a few more times, but I'm not sure. And I'd like to tell a story of a text God did give to me Friday. And then I discovered that's what Chris preached just four weeks ago but I'm going to do it differently than he did. Not because I think this is right and he was wrong, but because as the Bible has always got more to give to us than one time we can find out. So let me tell you this story. There was a man in Luke 16, excuse me, 15. There was a man who had two sons. I know that man. I have two sons. So I understood what was going on. But this man was more than a man with two sons. This was a man of extreme wealth, extreme wealth. And so he had these two sons, an older son, obviously, and a younger son. They were not twins. This younger son comes to him and says, 
Uh, Father, I really want out of here. I want to make my own life. Give me what will be mine when you die, but do it now. Strange request. But the father says, okay. And he gives to him what is due him for his inheritance. The son, a few days later, packs up the stuff and he walks over to the far country, a long ways away. It didn't have to be too far in those days because they didn't have automobiles. These were not a horse riding people. So they walked. And so he came over to the far country and he began to live a lavish, extraordinary, wealthy appearing life. And he used it all up. You ever use it all up? Does the uh, money come to an end before the month for any of you? As for us, we know what that's like. So he ran out. Then of all things, there was a failure of the economy and a famine. And so he is very hungry and he has nothing to eat. So he hires himself out to a farmer. This is a young Jewish boy. And the farmer he can get a job with is a pig farmer. This doesn't work. But he is so hungry and so in need of something to eat that he goes to work for this pig farmer. The famine continues. The downturn in the economy continues. And finally, he is looking at the food that the pigs eat, and he's going, I want that. I want that. And the text says in Luke 15, there was no one to give him anything, not a thing. But here's the good news in that story. As you look in the text, you discover in verse 17, the print is too small for me to read. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, there in the far country, he comes to his senses and he says, the guys that work for my dad, they have more than enough to eat. They're well taken care of. I'm going to go home, but I'm going to go home and be real. I'm going to take off my mask of indulgence, my mask of self-indulgence, which is a false witness to my family name. I'm going to take off my mask and go to my dad and humbly before him, I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, what God has ordained. I have sinned against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. I have wasted this family name by the way I've lived. May I work for you? Would you hire me as one of your servants? The father doesn't even let him finish the talk. He has run to him as he comes home because he's been looking for him to return. He throws his arms around him, lifts him off his feet, is squealing with great joy, tells one of his servants, go get a robe, a clean one to put on him. This one is awful. Get a ring to put on his finger. Get all the best things going for a great feast and kill the fatted calf. And they throw a party, a big party, for this son that was a false witness to his dad 
has returned speaking the truth. He has returned in humility. He has asked his father to hire him. He will never hire him. It's his son. He loves him. He's glad to have him home. What a wonderful story that is. Some of you have traveled to the far country. Some of you have squandered what God has given richly to you, for God is the Father in this story. Some of you have wasted and been a false witness to God because of all of that squandering. I was one of those people. I squandered 18 years of my life faking it, so my parents thought I was a good Christian boy doing all the right things in church, but in reality, when I went away to school every day, my life was very different. God welcomed me back at the age of 18. My parents rejoiced at my return at the age of 18. So I know what that's like. And I know some of your stories that coincide with mine, that coincide with this young boy who comes home. But today, I want you to know the story of the older brother. He hears the party. How can you not hear a party? Parties are loud. If it's quiet, it's not a party. Parties have lots of music, lots of dancing, lots of food, lots of, lots of. That's just how it is with a party. If you don't know that kind of party, Oh, give us some time. We'll have those here. We had one just a week ago. It was great. Lots of laughter, lots of music, lots of fun, lots of craziness, and a pastor who was off his rocker. (laughs) That's how it went. But here's an older brother. He hears that the son has returned, his younger brother, and he won't go in. Like the younger brother was lavish, on himself and self-indulgent. The older brother is lavish on his self and his thoughts about what's appropriate and not appropriate. And he looks at what's going on. He says, this kid should never have been invited home. But what's fascinating is this father who had just welcomed home a young boy and throws his arms around him, never pursued that young boy when he went off to be extravagant in the far country, but let him go because he really hoped and believed that he would come back someday because he would run out. He was a young boy. He had no clue about how to live. But this older son who's been managing much of the business for the family, he's been following all the rules. He's been obedient since day one. He tells his dad that. Look, I've done all these things for you. I've never left. I never left you hanging. I always did the right things. I went to synagogue with you. I took care of things around the farm. Everything was done by me, not by this young son of yours. And that's the language. Doesn't call him his brother. He calls him this son of yours. What's his problem? What's the problem with this older son? He thinks he's entitled because he's been faithful, because he stayed around home. He's entitled. 
He's entitled to all the affection of his father. He's entitled to the entire family and the future of the business. He is an entitled one. I have discovered over the years in churches, and I've served many, from California to Connecticut, there are people who live in the church with a sense of entitlement. Because they've been active or involved for a long time, they're entitled. It's got to be their way. Because there are multiple things they have done in the church, they're entitled. It's got to be their way. And what I've discovered over the years, while it's great that people get involved and people are doing many things, what matters is, do people have the heart of God? And this older boy did not have the heart of his father. He never left home and he knew how he was supposed to operate, but he didn't have the heart of his father in him. Instead, he complained about what's going on with this younger boy. Instead, he called him your son. Instead of having the heart of God for what's happening, he had the heart of entitlement for himself and the desire for this son to go away again. He didn't want him around. I remember a man in a church I served several years ago. He was an imposing guy, 6'5". That's imposing to, you, to me, 6'2". And he had a very deep voice. It was like he had probably uh, double the the load of testosterone working in him. And he had this deep commanding voice. And he was a guy who it had to be his way. That's how he operated. When he spoke at annual meetings, he would stand up and he would come to the front to take over the meeting. It had to be his way. His theology was the theology we ought to be following. His understanding about a social need in the community was the way we ought to be dealing with it. He had two sons, two daughters. And one son was marrying an incredibly wonderful young lady who had recently come to Christ. But she was a young lady that stood up to this six-foot-five over-testosteroned take charge, it's my way or the highway guy. He couldn't stand her. They married. And for the next year and a half, he worked diligently to break it. And he did. And that marriage no longer exists. Because he did not have the heart of the father. He knew lots of Bible, knew lots of theology, but did not know the heart of God. Both the son that wandered didn't know the heart of the father and the son that stayed home didn't know the heart of the father. To know the heart of the father, you have to listen to the father. You have to read the scripture of the love of God for you and for everyone. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world, the world, he gave his only begotten son. But listen to John 3.17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, which is to judge it and find it guilty and give it a sentence. For God so loved the world, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How do we save the world? We don't save the world by judging it. 
We don't save the world by setting up boundaries or hoops for people to jump through. We save the world by loving it in the name of Christ, by the heart of the Father. As the heart of the Father beats in our heart, we are able to win people to Jesus Christ and to a much better way of life, to an adventure that's really exciting and positive, an adventure you can wake up from the next morning and you can go, I remember exactly what happened, and it was good. God is winning. Do you know the heart of the Father? Really? I don't mean the words. I mean the attitudes. I mean the behaviors. Is the heart of the Father what motivates your life in everything, in how you do business, in how you act as a dad, in how you act as a mom, in how you act as a child, in how you act as a grandparent, in how you act as a church person, in how you act at work, in how you act in business dealings that you're in, in how you act with your neighbors, especially the one that's the pain to live by, or that uncle that comes by for Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, and you pray he goes home early this year? Do you have the heart of God for those people? Do you have the heart of God in all of your dealings? Do you know the heart of God? I want to know it. I strive to know it. I want to help this church to know it better. I want you to help me to know it. And I want to help you to know it. More importantly, we are not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of it. I want us to learn to do it even better. We need to bless our children. This man wouldn't come to the wedding because he did not agree with it. And what he said was, son, I don't care for you at all. And I certainly don't care for her. May God help us to love by the heart of the Father through our lives to each other and to our world. Whatever the strategy that's developed out of vitality and congregational gatherings for our involvement in this community to do the work of Christ here, it doesn't matter the strategy if we don't have the heart of God to do it. And in a second, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion, which is the heart of God being expressed through the life of Jesus who gave himself in love. Were we worthy to receive it? Absolutely not. Does he make us worthy to receive it? Absolutely yes. Because the heart of the Father beat in him and we are called to become like him. This communion is an appetizer and a reminder. An appetizer of the love of God for us and a reminder this is our mission in our world. Whether it's organized as a strategy of a church or it's the mission of our lives personally, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our home, at school, wherever it is. This is the will of God. You want to know God's will? That the heart of God rule our lives. There's nothing more. Everything else falls under that. Everything. And we all fall under it because he loves us. <laughs>